competency-based online learning is, in particular, a necessity for community colleges. Not only did it fill a gap in the pandemic, but it gives the community colleges the ability to expand delivery options for the learner and for the business customer. How do we make sure that we have adult learners that don't feel that they're being shortchanged, make sure that they believe that this is still top quality education? The workforce landscape is rapidly changing, and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Executive Director of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us, you the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together, and it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo, and this is The Future of Work. Ever wonder who helps innovate educational systems? Today, we host a guest who is the executive director of the leading organization in the development of innovative programming and professional development for continuing education, among the many other things they innovate. The organization is called National Council for Continuing Education and Training, or NCCET for short, and our guest today is Ed Harper. Listen in as he explains how the organization works and how you can get involved. Welcome back to the Future of Work podcast. I am your host, Salvatrice Kumu, and with me today, I have Mr. Ed Harper, Executive Director of the National Council for Continuing Education and Training. Ed, how are you? Just fine, Salvatrice. Great. And we know that the acronym for those listening is NCCET, because that's a that's a mouthful to say that, <laughs> say that organization's name. Thank you so much for joining us. We are thrilled to have you on this podcast because continuing education and training is so important as we move forward to post-pandemic recovery of our economy. I'm really looking forward to having this dialogue with you. Thank you so very much. And selfishly, selfishly, I'm very proud to be accepted as one of the board members for NCCET. So thank you very much, Ed. So, you know, if you don't mind, let's let's kind of get started here. Let's let's talk a little bit about Ed. What led you to NCCET? How did you become the executive director of the organization? And tell us about that journey. My goodness, since 1991, I have been one of the co-founders of a company called Growth Development Associates, GDA. GDA provides sales management training programs for companies literally all over the world. And our programs, our courses, are certified by NCCET for 
quite some time, the objective was to not only provide programs for companies, but to also provide programs that would have an educational focus in higher ed. So this was our way to really get into uh, higher ed. In 2019, however, NCCET suffered a problem with, with my predecessor, who out of nowhere left the company just prior to the planned national conference for that year. And it it really looked like it might have been a problem. So I stepped in to assist and to make sure that the event went smoothly, that the organization continued to flourish. We wanted to, selfishly perhaps, we wanted to make sure that the the organization that that was offering certification for our programs did well. But even more so, we had come to know NCCET and come to know members of the board and many of the schools that were affiliated with it. And we recognized that this is an organization that really needed to succeed. It really needed to continue. So GDA actually <laughs> made a major contribution. I, I'm a third of the, uh, the, the, the leadership uh, of that company, and I was loaned to NCCET to serve as the executive director. Well, I must have done a a good job because they asked me to stay on. So that's kind of how I showed up here. And I think about the organizations that are part of NCCET, yours that was involved for quite some time. How do you onboard new organizations into NCCET? And a follow-up question to that is what should colleges and their academic representatives be prepared to do. So for example, for us, you know, we've, we onboarded, we're, we're here, we're ready. Share with us what that process is. And then, and then what could we do to kind of leverage the network and how should we participate in NCCET? I'll answer the question primarily for schools first, but that's to be expanded because now we're extending membership to businesses as well. Businesses that seek a strong affiliation with higher education. But the whole idea of a formal onboarding process, it's actually a great idea. The truth is we don't really have a formal process. We have a, uh, a system whereby when a new school joins or renews their membership, we send what amounts to a welcome back email package. It includes uh, notification that yes, we did receive your money, all right, that you are now an institutional member or a consortium member, and the new paid through date is such and such. So we make sure that we we give them uh, a real clear understanding. You are now an active member until this date, and at that time, we'll ask you to renew. We also provide them with a listing of the people that we've got associated with that school and their information, title, email, telephone, and so forth. And this is important because, again, when I first got here, there were numerous instances of both schools and individuals from that same school, and they were all members. We had individuals that were paying for membership, and then the schools also paid for membership. It didn't happen all the time, but it happened way too often. So we wanted to make it clear, and and I think we've accomplished that now, when a school joins NCCET, that includes 
all of the individuals, all of the employees and staff members and key stakeholders that are engaged in continuing education and workforce development. So we provide them with a list and ask them to uh, check the list. If there are old names, people that have left or retired or are no longer in these positions, please let us know so we can remove them from the the database. And if we're missing some people, if there are names that are relevant to CE and workforce development, please let us know so that they can be the recipient of our broadcasts, our email notifications, and our notifications of upcoming events. I guess the other thing is we try to make sure that our new regional directors and area managers are made aware when someone comes back or someone joins for the first time, because we want to make make sure that we can make those connections as early as possible. There are new events and forums and such, and we'll want them to participate as, as much as possible. NCCET does offer training programs for academic institutions and other entities, correct? When you say offer, we have programs that we have deemed NCCET certified, which means we've taken that course and had it reviewed by two completely independent certification agents. And they look at seven different areas of uh, evaluation to make sure that, in fact, this training, this program that's being offered is of world-class quality, that it's something that we would be proud to then deploy to our member schools for their use. And again, there aren't but so many of those types of programs available for non-credit programs. So we try to make sure that we're offering these programs, again, for continuing education and workforce development. But yes, those are the programs that we provide. From those NCCET certified programs that you know, we have put our stamp of approval on. Can you share any success stories from that and your vision really kind of on replicating that success story across other educational institutions? Right now, I can point to three companies that have certified curriculum programs that we've already completed. There's another one in process. Actually, I take that back. There are maybe three or four more in process and several more that uh, we know are lining up to uh, go through the certification process. The companies are Growth Development Associates from Naples, Florida, Alpha Umi, which is based in Tarpon Springs, Florida. The third is an Indianapolis-based company called 180 Skills. The one that I said is still to come, is, is in the process right now, is actually coming from one of our schools. The College of DuPage has consistently offered uh, a truly outstanding program in uh, adjunct faculty training, and that's in the process of going through certification. And I would say that the programs that really represent success stories are from any of the schools that can literally offer world-class programs like this overnight. And we have several schools that can do that. A couple that come to mind, Tri-County Technical College, for example. They offer monthly real estate sales classes, and they're about to offer personal finance training. And all and those programs, again, came from their affiliation with NCCET. The real estate classes in particular are unique because they had, prior to this, they had an instructor that did the initial 
real estate certification, all right? So they, they are the ones that would provide the license. But then what they do now is immediately upon completion of that program, they immediately refer these graduates over to the sales training class because there is no other sales training that we're aware of. There's lots of training programs in real estate and real estate agents have to be able on a regular basis, have to be able to continue taking classes for a variety of you know different reasons. But they made a decision at some point in time not to include sales training. The people that are taking this class right now are saying this is tremendous and it's extremely valuable. The instructor says if she had had this when she first went through, she would have been so much more successful. I'll point to another school, University of South Florida. They're in the process of announcing a sales masterclass for automotive dealerships. Their plan is to be able to offer this training all throughout Florida for automotive dealers. And this is from a school, University of South Florida, that really has done a tremendous job in generating new revenue for the school as a result of the kind of continuing education programs that they offer to companies and affiliate organizations all throughout Florida. It's really interesting to kind of hear how an organization adapts and innovates to the demands of the industry and the demands of academia and really kind of saying, look, you know, we know that this certification is needed. We know that there's gap in the market and here's how we can help. And I think what the beauty of NCCET is, is doing just that. And so perhaps, you know, I'm kind of curious is how are we constantly in a state of, of innovation and improvement, right? Like how do we as an organization, NCCET, really go about evaluating which industries and skill requirements have a staying power or that are the upcoming occupations or upcoming skills that are needed? How do we do that as an organization to evaluate those industries? That is such a great question. If we were to actually do the evaluation, that is something that's just too important to risk getting it wrong. But rather than do it, we actually have partners and we have what I would consider to be subject matter experts that are doing that right now. I'll offer Burning Glass Technologies. They just published a report about the various jobs and skills that will drive post-pandemic recovery. The, the report was called After the Storm. And they're saying that as a result of the database postings that Burning Glass Technologies is, is well known for, They've identified just short of 18 million new jobs that will be created over the next five years, jobs that really were not in place prior to the pandemic. And they categorized them into separate economies as a way of trying to understand, you know, like, which are the jobs that would really be influenced. There's a readiness economy that highlights the need for cybersecurity and software engineers. And I get really excited about that because, again, as we grow, we're finding new schools that really were unrelated to NCCET in the past, but new schools and new friends and people that have new programs to offer. We just brought on board a new area manager out in North Dakota, and their area of specialization is cybersecurity. All right. Now, again, they have other programs, but they, they really have something special to offer in cybersecurity. And once 
that was called to my attention little by little. I'm hearing from other schools as well that offer cybersecurity types of, of programs. And if, if we can put these types of uh, organizations together and let them learn from each other and benefit from each other and, again, just exchange insight and information, we're all the better for it. And we'll end up with that with far better programs overall. So that's the readiness economy. There's a logistics economy. They pointed out that during the pandemic, you couldn't buy toilet paper. And that was an example of how supply chains failed because of the demands of the pandemic. But as far as NCCET is concerned, we're in the process right now of talking to an organization that emphasizes logistics and supply chain management. So there's all kinds of things that I believe can come as a result of those types of relationships. We're still, you know, working to see exactly what that's going to be. There's a green economy based on new climate policy. There's a remote economy, as you can imagine. And that's probably one that our schools are, are, are most going to have to deal with now that remote learning is a reality for both teachers and students. And some will be approaching a hybrid approach as well, perhaps. Absolutely. As a result of that, we'll be even that much more dependent on data and software and networks and so forth. And then the fifth economy, as I recall, is the automated economy, that employers will prioritize automation over what they consider to be uh, low-value workers. So again, we'll we'll be looking to see just uh, the degree to which we can provide guidance and insight to our schools based on that kind of data and those types of findings. We work as an organization with other organizations and institutions on developing, you know, skills-based trainings, programmatic things, really, and all the things that we talked about, really analyzing the data, having industry connections, having really maybe a formal setting in which we identify the needs. How do we do that with the actual worker? For example, there's workers out there that are interested in being a part of high demand industries that are interested in pivoting in their careers. How does NCC engage with the actual workers for professional development? Is there space for that in the organization? In truth, you're talking about continuing education. You're talking about adult learners and people that are doing their best to try and make sure that they have the tools they need to survive, period, to make the kind of income needed, period. So our job is really not so much to directly provide professional development needs for the workers. It's, it's really to make sure that our schools have access to the curriculum programs, the staff development programs, and all the tools that they need to be able to meet those needs. And for that, We're offering national virtual events in a variety of different packages. What I mentioned before, in many respects, based on the availability of data. In in that case, it was from Burning Glass. There's, There's lots of data out there now. We had a member survey that we sent out not too long ago that basically said, tell us what you need. Tell us what it is that we can we can do to help you do what you do. And the overwhelming response was, we need to know how to make decisions based on data. We need to know 
how to provide for the individual workers and the continuing education workers and so forth based on things that have changed or based on things as they are today. So we put together a two-hour session. We really didn't realize at the beginning that this was to be the start of a data analytics campaign, all right? But it was. It was a two-hour session that provided foundational information provided by one data analytics company and case studies from three different schools that were in various stages of data analytics maturity. And we got a great response, and, and, and folks showed a sincere interest for more. So just this past week, we held the second campaign event. We called it the executive session. It went so well. We had the CEO from MC who was explaining how he was working with organizations like California State University. I think it was McLennan Community College. And they would provide an economic impact study. Again, what is the data? What is the impact of the pandemic on the local community such that we now have a clearer understanding of the needs of the immediate community served by that school. And they would be able to work with the schools to do tremendous work. But again, it's all based on data. We had some other CEOs and some other folks participate as well. That was the second data analytics campaign event. Next month, we're working on a third program by just basically using data analytics for marketing your school. Now, then there's no charge for these programs beyond basic membership. But the idea is how do we help them do exactly what you ask? How do we make sure that they can meet the professional development needs of the community and the high demand industries that they work with? Is an example of that the webinar that you did in May called Distance Learning Adaptation Forum Beyond COVID-19? Would that be an example of it, of what you're speaking of? It could be, although quite frankly, that was actually in May of 2020. We had just gotten an understanding of what the actual impact of COVID-19 was going to be, and organizations were rapidly canceling all of their live events. So we decided... And we're very proud of this, by the way. We decided we would have a virtual educational conference. All right, I think we were the first to do it. All the other associations were canceling their events, but we wanted something whereby the biggest takeaway was, again, the fact that we could do it, but they would actually come away with some new strategies and some new ideas and some best practices in how do you shift from the face-to-face platform training that they've been doing to remote online training. And it it came together. Our very first session took on a challenge of how do you conduct competency-based assessments online, all right? So in other words, if you have, if you're trying to teach somebody something that really requires you to be able to observe how they're, are they doing it right? How are they adapting to what has traditionally been a hands-on type of uh, activity? You know, how do you do that online? And then we had speakers discussing the use of, of augmented and virtual reality programs. We had another session that it included predictive analytics to help 
continuing education programs identify pockets of high potential adult student prospects. I would also add that we had the assistant secretary of the Department of Education and the deputy assistant secretary join the event so that they could describe in detail what was brand new at the time, and that was the CARES Act, and how would that money be made available. Again, it was the first time that we were actually trying to do something like this, to say the very first time we were a little nervous. (laughs) We were. (laughs) But once we Once we pull that off, we've been doing virtual events ever since. I'm just wondering if like takeaways from that lesson, right, from doing that first time virtual event, the takeaways from the dialogue, the takeaways from the breakout sessions, do you think that there's any elements of the dialogue that happened in May of 2020 now that we're kind of preparing for this post-pandemic recovery in the future of work and what that might look like? Are there any nuggets in there that you say, you know what, Salvatore, I really think that this is here to stay. This takeaway that we had from that dialogue or from from that engagement is here to stay. I think a lot of that is 2020 hindsight. Competency-based online learning is in particular a necessity for community colleges. And so many of our members are community colleges. Not only did it fill a gap in the pandemic, but it gives the community colleges the ability to expand delivery options for the learner and for the business customer. I mean, it's something that I don't think we're ever going to see uh, go away. I think, if anything, it'll be expanded. I think organizations and schools right now are figuring out how do you blend the two? How do you continue with face-to-face training uh, where needed? And how do you implement perhaps a higher level of remote learning now that we've actually gotten a taste of it, now that we've seen that it works? How do we make sure that we have adult learners that don't feel that they're being shortchanged and make sure that they believe that this is still top quality education? I mean, I would certainly agree with you. I think that some of the lessons that we learned, too, through this is that there were certainly barriers and barriers to access individuals and groups of individuals that didn't have the technology or the equipment or you know, you list a, a number of things that were barriers to education in remote education. And it is our number one priority as an institution is to close the equity gaps, is to embed diversity, inclusion, and equity in our curriculum development. And we are hyper-focused on that. We believe in access for all. And we are working tirelessly in, in, in removing those barriers. And we're very proud of it. In your conversations, in your network, in your involvement with other institutions across the country, what is the best way to do that? What is the best way for us? Have you seen any best practices or models in which really worked for other institutions that could that you could share for us? That might also apply to organizations as they diversify their employment, as they change their HR practices, their hiring practices, as they build cultures of inclusion within their organization. Has anything come across you that you felt was, gosh, this, this was really done well and I'd love to share it? Very much so. As you pointed out, the the first such national virtual conference was our Distance Learning Adaptation Forum. At the very end of that, we announced that the next session would be our Pathfinder program. Pathfinder was designed to provide some assistance 
to our schools that had taken a significant revenue hit because of declining enrollments and perhaps some other factors. And we made some real friends during Pathfinder. For example, one of the presenters was a Dr. Lowry. He was a dean of college and career readiness at Fayetteville Technical Community College. And he did a presentation that was focused on traditionally underserved and disadvantaged populations and what they had done during the pandemic and perhaps during the height of what prior to that was a healthy economy in order to make sure that these were populations that were receiving the kind of education and the kind of attention that they need. The session really op- opened my eyes and it was and, and it was something that I realized we had other similar programs and other schools that were coming forward and sharing what they really had been able to accomplish. Tallahassee Community College, for example. Tallahassee is one of the foremost community colleges in the country. Uh, When I heard the things that they're doing, I was uh, uh, determined to uh, extend an offer to Tallahassee to join NCCET, and they have. But as it turns out, Nearly 21% of the population of the county served by Tallahassee, apparently these folks all live below the poverty line. And as I recall, they, they, they said that the college itself is in a zip code that's considered to be one of the poorest zip codes in the state of Florida. And yet this school uh, has been recognized for offering a very highly successful program to address both equity and diversity needs identifying schools like this, finding ways to put a spotlight on it, finding ways to share what they've accomplished, bringing forward some of their leaders in ways that they can begin to uh, speak with and trade success stories with some of our other schools. I think that's a tremendous benefit. And I think that's something that uh, we'll be able to accomplish even more with the the kind of uh, growth and expansion that we are enjoying right now. If there's one thing that you would say to employers who are listening, to institutions that are listening, what would be one takeaway that you would like them to know about NCCET and how they can engage and how can they embed what your organization is offering into their system, into their organizations to broaden the skill base, to broaden access? The timing for a question like that is perfect. We are just at the point now where we're about to unveil our plans for the next face-to-face annual member conference. This will be the, a national conference. The plan is to do it in, in Austin, Texas in February of 2022. We are just beginning conversations with employers and organizations that are interested in working with NCCET. And I guess the message that I would share is they are interested in access to our schools, but each company, each organization will probably, if we do it right, will probably have a very different reason for wanting that kind of access. And our job, our responsibility is to engage 
in the dialogue and in the conversations so that we can identify what the real benefit to both parties would be. I can think of one company that is very focused on apprenticeships and the promotion of apprenticeship programs and apprenticeship structures. Again, once we have the kind of engagement, once we talk to them and invite them in, we can work with them to determine how best to make that happen. Other organizations may have different needs or different interests. It's not a one-size-fits-all or not, you know, the same uh, solution for a union between NCCET and this company is not necessarily going to be the same for the other companies. We have to be able to have this conversation. So I would invite you to come and talk to us. Are only too eager to work with you to make sure that we are providing the workforce that you need, the skills that you need through the schools that are paying close attention to what's happened in a post-pandemic world. They very much want to know that they're sending out people that are going to be successful and that you're going to hire. This has been so incredibly informational. And I know that we are proud members of NCCET. We look forward to continued engagement. Of course, I look forward to my role as a board member and and now spearheading the Business Engagement Committee. So any if there is a listener out there who's there you go. interested, <laughs> right, who's interested yes. in participating in a business engagement or business industry forum with myself on this committee, happy to have you. Ed, is there a way that if, if there's a listener who wants to connect with you, what might be the best way to do that, that we can enter into the show notes? The best way is by email, ed at nccet.org. If you send me email, I promise you I will get back to you as quickly as possible. I would love to hear from your listeners. I would love to uh, continue this process of making some new friends and some new connections as NCCET grow and expand. Well, thank you. Such a pleasure, Ed. We will see each other soon. I'll see you in Texas. I'll tell you what, I'll be there. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we will be there for sure. Thanks, Ed. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.